Today on Ag News Daily. The past little bit, it's been epic. This week has been like 1936, 1937. Like 100 degree temps. We're 16 inches of rain behind for the year. Welcome to the Friday edition, August 25th, 2023. This episode is brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. Are you ready to go, Delaney? I'm ready to go, Tanner. How about you? Always ready to go. Looks like we might be getting to the near end of our heat index advisories. The last heat warnings remain in effect for southeastern Nebraska down to the Gulf Coast, east over to Ohio, just for one more day. We're looking in Iowa, southern portions of the state, 105 to 110 degrees. Central Missouri is where the peak of that dome is going to sit at nearly 120. This historic heat wave will continue just one more day. We will still have extreme humidity over multiple days in this forecast. If we look at northeastern Colorado, western Kansas, thunderstorms are expected this afternoon and will likely continue through much of the night. Unfortunately, they could bring hail and some strong winds. Speaking of strong winds, Franklin is looking to become a hurricane and will be bearing down on Bermuda and then whipping dangerous rip currents up our eastern coast next week. Tropical Storm Franklin is expected to get to that hurricane level early next week, and uh, we will continue to keep an eye on that to see what it will do for our friends on the east coast. Well, Tanner, as we wrapped up the final day of the Pro Farmer Crop Tour, we saw some extreme variability in Iowa and Minnesota. As things rounded out the day in Minnesota, with scouts rallying in Rochester, Minnesota, to share images and rank fields of what they'd seen, like I mentioned, extreme variability. That was uh, very much the story, it sounds like, Tanner, on the eastern leg as well. When we look at yields for the state of Iowa, the yield estimate came in at 182.8, down a bushel compared to last year's estimates. According to Peter Meyer of S&P Global, who says he's been on the crop tour 17 years now, he said this corn crop was the patchiest corn crop he's ever seen in the state of Iowa. They, He said the crop really didn't get enough moisture, it ran out of energy, and it's certainly not a disaster. But when you look at the ears and consider the potential, it could have been a monster crop. So it's certainly not going to be a monster crop, according to Peter and the other scouts on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. And the variability concerns only grew when it came to soybeans in the state of Iowa. Some scouts said that they struggled to determine whether the crop was dying or drying out. But regardless, they said things looked extremely dry. They're sitting, of course, with two to three days of 103 heat index. And that's going to be the case that we're going to hear sentiment echoed by Ben Renshi, a farmer here in Jessup, Iowa, for today's conversation. But in the western leg of Minnesota, soybeans could fare worse than the state of Iowa. Yields came in again at a 181, down pretty significantly, though, Tanner, compared to 2022, which was at a 190. As far as soybeans go, Last year, the state came in at a 52 bushel per acre, and state checkoff for the state of Minnesota is estimating 50 bushels per acre. However, scouts are saying it might be even worse than that based on what they've seen in the field, Tanner. That's not uh, exactly 
exactly the news that we were expecting to see on that leg of the tour, but it is what they witnessed. We did see on August 23rd, Alex Harrell shattered the world record set for soybean bushels per acre. The new yield metric is 206.7997, so almost 207 bushels per acre coming from his Smithfield, Georgia farm. He, on this farm, grows about 3,000 acres of wheat, soybeans, corn, and watermelons with his dad, Rod. He is a 33-year-old farmer. Dewey Lee, a former University of Georgia agronomist of 35 years, called Harold an out-of-the-box thinker. However, the record that was set previously at 190 bushels per acre held by Randy Dowdy is one of the mentors. Harold and Harold and others have worked with Dowdy through the Total Acre Program and credits him for most of the lessons that he has learned. So it'll be quite interesting to sit and be a part of that group. He did spell out what his growing season looked like. He started last fall with record corn harvest. He had extra residue. They sized that residue, applied a burn down treatment, then also planted cereal rye, triticale, radishes, and oats as a cover crop ahead of this large yielded soybeans. They started April 5th, planted 85,000 seeds per acre into good conditions, did get a hard rain on the day after, and ended up with a final stand count of around 77,000 plants per acre. The farm had a 10-day rain event in June, which didn't help, according to the grower. But halfway through the season, he was able to utilize uh, his pivots to monitor that. He said he knew that he had 150 bushel beans, but didn't know how much better it would get. Did spray desiccation on August 11th, not as a detriment, but wanted to make sure that the beans didn't express any stress towards the last part of their period before harvest, and then got the plot taken out on August 23rd. So quite an interesting growing story there to get to 200 and almost 207 bushels per acre soybeans. Yeah, isn't that wild, Tanner, to see stories like that? Yeah, and you know, again, I haven't toured a lot of agriculture in Georgia, let alone probably been anywhere outside of Atlanta and Savannah. Uh, but it's interesting to hear that the previous record and the current record were held there. Mm, I didn't think about that, but that's a good point to make. Well, as we look at the second day, third day of the pipeline, what are they called? Why can't I think of the word? Hearings. Hearing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in. Don't edit that out. Uh, okay. Well, as we look at the second and third day of hearings, Tanner, uh, Interesting comments were made, and it didn't sound like it went over so well with the Iowa Utilities Board. According to an article today on Successful Farming's website, a pipeline attorney and the chairperson for the Iowa Board of Utilities apparently got into it a little bit on the second day of testimony. The pipeline attorney was complaining at which the pace of the hearings were going on and said things were moving along sluggishly. In response to that, one of the chairperson for the Iowa Utilities Board responded and said, quote, try to be more focused and appreciative of the time we're taking. And when I say appreciative of time, I mean of the landowners who aren't being paid, are here on their own dime, their own accord, and their own inconvenience. 
So I don't suppose that those comments from the pipeline attorney went over very well, Tanner, with the Iowa Utilities Board. But nonetheless, we've continued to see landowners testifying about why they object to Summit's requests for eminent domain to construct and maintain the carbon dioxide pipeline. We are uh, still seeing comments coming out against the pipeline. And there is still no overall schedule for the hearing, but as we mentioned the other day, it's expected to take about six weeks or so. Yeah, and the way I interpreted that using the the phrase and is that the chairperson and the pipeline attorney were both on the same side, lamenting that it was slow as far as the defense went uh, to value the time of those that aren't being paid there. But yes, it's already heating up and we're only in the first week wanted to touch back on a story that you shared delaney about the panama canal bottlenecks it looks like they have started to ease the backlog of vessels waiting to pass through the panama canal due to drought related restrictions has eased recently mainly due to ships taking alternative routes however they're still looking at a maximum of 32 ships per day versus the 36 which you reported on normal conditions but as of tuesday 125 booked and non-booked vessels were waiting to pass. And as of yesterday, that was now down to 60 with 40 approaching. So still going to be a little bit of a backlog, but not as substantial as ships have taken the other route. We also saw that Brazil cleared their bottlenecks to get the U.S. out of the top corn exporter position. Brazil is set to overtake the U.S. this year in that top position, reflecting both on bumper crop harvests and logistical breakthroughs, the consolidation of the northern export routes, which are boosting the competitiveness of South American grains, is what is leading to this powerhouse taking over. Corn exports through Brazil's northern ports using the waterways of the Amazon River Basin to ship grains globally are now on track to beat the volumes that are coming out of the traditional port of Santos. So for the third consecutive year, this could be uh, the edge that it takes for brazil to knock north america out of especially the u.s out of that top corn exports this again comes with the new supply deal that china announced last year suggesting that brazil may be opening a longer era of supremacy over u.s corn exports we'll continue to keep an eye on that but uh we also know as well plus so Interesting to see here where that shakes out, but it logistically looks like exports and trade routes across the equator uh, are starting to ease up. Peter, and when we look at exports coming out of the Black Sea region, the regional governor near the Odessa region said that they are working on a solution to introduce new grain export control mechanisms. Specifically here, looking at the ports of the Black Sea and Danube River and Port of Odessa, the governor mentioned that they are introducing new export control mechanisms for grain that from now on would allow vessels and barges to be loaded only after preliminary analysis of the legality on the grain's origins. He said that they will add customs declarations to all barges before they get loaded, and they'd have to be registered prior to the loading of export goods. This measure is aimed at strengthening discipline, accounting, and reporting in foreign economic activity. And analysts have said that a significant amount of grain is bought for cash under deals that are not fully transparent, Tanner, which reduces revenues for the state's budget and a lot of that state budget is 
going to military needs. And in this case, they certainly need more military needs. But as farmers are trying to cut costs as much as possible, they said there might be some shady things going on with some of these exports and they're trying to prevent that as much as possible. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. We're seeing some shady developments from the Russian government. Heineken announced its departure from Russia following the sale of their business for a symbolic $1. The Dutch beer maker made their statement early this morning that they have received the necessary approvals to sell its operations to the Arnest Group, a Russian manufacturer, now completing their withdrawal process that they started a year ago in March. The CEO of Heineken said that recent developments demonstrate significant challenges faced by large manufacturing companies. It took much longer than they had hoped, but they look to secure the livelihoods of their employees and allows them to exit the country in a responsible manner. However, they do have to pay a hefty fee to the Russian government, and it looks like they will incur a loss of around $323 million from exiting this position. First, they don't think that Russia's, the Russian state will put their people in the best interest or have their best interest at heart. Second, they're uncomfortable with the Russian state as it should benefit now from maybe a forced appropriation of the major business assets. So other than that, last headlines I've got is the Kremlin denied it was involved in the plane crash that reported on yesterday, killing the Wagner boss, President Putin said that uh, the Wagner boss was a talented man who made serious mistakes. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, signs are growing that the Kiev forces have penetrated the first line of Russian defenses. But Russia destroyed 42 Ukrainian drones over Crimea uh, early Friday morning. So the defense ministry is reporting it comes as Kiev's forces carried out what appeared to be the most complex and ambitious operation against Russia over the peninsula, but unfortunately appeared to be at a high cost. That's what I've got for headlines today. You know, I have just one final headline here as we look at technology being available worldwide. India was on their way to making waves with a GM mustard crop, but according to some news outlets here today... Uh, yesterday, really, I guess, in India time, we have seen now the center make a U-turn on GM mustard crops. The center sought to withdraw the oral undertaking that they gave last year to the Supreme Court that it would maintain the status quo and would not initiate commercial cultivation of GM mustard without the Supreme Court's approval. This fresh application filed before the top court was uh, given on November 3rd of last year as the final hearing in this that was supposed to begin soon and did not take place and the case is still pending, but the loss or the court case here really is to try and get GM mustard seed as an available tool for Indian farmers, Tanner. And so now this puts a little hiccup in how that path moves forward. Yeah, I see that. It sounds like it. Do we have a hiccup in the way markets open this morning? Well, actually, markets this morning are opening up pretty healthily, it looks like, across the board. September corn up four, excuse me, up a half a cent at 472 and three quarters. The snoo crop corn up just a quarter of a cent in the overnight at 484 and a half. Soybeans today in the September contract up seven and three quarters cents at 1373 and a half. New crop beans up nine at 1380 and three quarters. Hard red September winter wheat up six and a quarter cent at 759 and a quarter. 
September spring wheat up six and a quarter cent at 781 and Chicago September wheat up two and a half cents at 606 and a half. In the livestock markets here, a quick reminder at where things closed yesterday and will open here this morning. October live cattle added $2.05. We'll open a, a buck 80, 72 and a half. September feeder cattle will open $2.17.5 higher at $2.50.75. And October lean hogs also had a good day yesterday, up $1.92 on the board. We'll open at $80.47.5. Tanner, I hinted at this earlier, but famous Twitter farmer and uh, I think longtime person in the industry that's just well-respected for his opinions, Ben Renshi, is going to share a little bit about his outlook for how the Iowa crop is going to look for this year. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Folks, I'm so excited for today's Friday conversation because we're chatting with a Twitter farmer that many of you may follow along with or have seen his posts on Twitter. Ben Renshi, a farmer in Jessup, Iowa, sixth generation corn and soybean farmer. Ben, I'm super excited to chat with you today. Well, thanks, Delaney. I'm thrilled to be here. Ben, I love watching all of your tweets because I think you just are very candid and open about what you're seeing, what's going on in your neck of the woods. And we're going to dive more into that today. But for those of our listeners who are not familiar with you and don't follow you on Twitter, give us just the 10,000 foot background of Ben Renchi. Sure, sure. Well, I'm I'm an avid cyclone, uh, trained in, in Ames, Iowa. Uh, I'm a recovering banker, did that for a decade. Now I've been three decades at grain farming in Northeast Iowa. My wife and I have four children, all involved in agriculture, all in their 20-somethings. Uh, so uh, our farm has a large footprint over Eastern Iowa, and we are blessed to be in the area of high demand for corn and Cedar Rapids and lots of crush plants or soybeans, lots of livestock in our area. And so that's, that's, uh, that's our business supplying them. I love that. And you, I think are just a well-known guy across the ag space because you're very vocal about your opinions and not in a bad way, but you're very apt to share what's going on in your neck of the woods or what you're seeing in the industry, what you're seeing from market perspectives but we've got the Pro Farmer Crop Tour going on this week, and it sounds like you've been doing a little crop scouting of your own. But what do you what what has this growing season been like for you, Ben? Because we're getting so many mixed signals, I think, from this week's tour, what farmers are seeing in the fields, and the weather that we've been having this week, just so heat stressed. Sure. Well, all things are local, and here's what happened for me. We got a break in early spring. Uh, crops got planted on time got just enough moisture to, to germinate the crop, and then it went dry for us in June. And uh, in a nick of time, we had some moisture, not lots, but some, and we got through pollination with good temps. And then the past little bit, it's been epic. This week has been like 1936, 1937 epic. Like 100 degree temps, we're 16 inches of rain behind for the year. 
uh, of our usual, usually have about 27 by this time of year. We had nothing in the profile coming in. I've, I think tomorrow will be looked upon, or the, excuse me, yesterday will be looked upon as a day like that the crop died in my area. I mean, not set back, not, you know, oh, we shrank a few bushels. I mean, on the lighter soils, the crop died. It will be brown and dead in a week. Why do you say that it was yesterday that marked it? Or I mean, what was there anything significant that happened? I don't know, 101 at three in the afternoon with a 15, 20 mile an hour wind kind of does it for me. It kind of makes me think of my neighbor and friend, Harold, who was uh, born in 1917. He, uh, he's been gone for three years, but he used to talk about how in 1936 or 1937, I believe, how a few miles south of my HQ, uh, it got so dry and just think we didn't have the reduced tillage methods. We didn't have the kind of fertility or the crops with the root mass to gather moisture out of the soil that we have today. But, you know, we didn't have the amount of foliage to, you know, kind of cannibalize to feed the, the plant. But he talked about how it got so dry, the crop caught on fire this time of year and burned a whole square mile. I think if we didn't have today's modern farming techniques, you'd be looking at something epic like that for this week in my area. Yeah, I, I saw your tweet the other day. I think maybe it was a couple, two or three days ago, where you were talking about comparing some of the epic droughts that we've seen in years prior, like 90, 1937, 1988, and 2012. Ben, I know you weren't around for the 1937 drought, but 88 and 2012, in your mind, how, how does this year compare? Yeah, we're going to, I'm expecting a smaller crop than either of those two years where we had more or less five-eighths of a crop. Uh, 88, I was uh, comfortably living with uh, some working in downtown Chicago in finance and remember how ungodly hot was. My best friend from grad school was an Australian. He invited me down the 1st of September after our summer internships were over to, uh, to see Australia. I uh, came back about the 20th of September and asked my father and brother, like, hey, I'll come home this weekend and maybe help with the harvest. They said, we did it while you're gone. You know, they harvested 16, 1700 acres with a six row combine. And there just wasn't anything there. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time or that. Uh, I'm expecting something like that. 2012 is still vivid in my mind, just a decade ago. And, uh, you know, we had fields range from kind of, 25 bushel an acre corn up to uh, 175, I think was maybe our best, probably around 120 average yield. It wouldn't surprise me, Delaney, if that's where we're headed in my area. Um, you know, since the advent of social media, things get extrapolated and spread so quick. And then you couple that up with the way commodities are traded now, all the algorithms, all the you know way information is exchanged and digitized and traded. You know this this doesn't fit into the mold really well because I think they're very attuned to planting date, and they're very attuned to like the pollination period, dry June, and then epic heat in dryness this time of year during our usual grain fill period, which should last a month, 
it's going to, we had a week, doesn't fit the model very well. I think that, you know, if I was going to game this, I think, you know, people love analog years. They love to like, oh, this is behaving like 2012 or this is behaving like 98. I'm going to go, if you want an analog year to compare this to, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to say it's like 1993, the first year I farmed. Uh, it rained all summer and rain makes grain. And we finally got to the field and we harvested. The first liar didn't have a chance. And everybody was at that time was hoping for 150 bushel corn, maybe bigger because it rained. And then we found out when it's cold and wet to the point of, uh, of waterlogged fields with no sunshine that the crop just wasn't there. It was five eighths. It was two thirds of a crop. And, you know, we went through this discovery process. Uh, maybe it's like 1972 and the great grain robbery. I was a little young for that one. I was uh, 11 years old. But all of a sudden, all the supply was taken away. I'm kind of feeling more like that today. Like, we're going to, okay, this doesn't fit the model of how we measure things right now. Um, and we're kind of like, mm, yeah, it probably hurt. But boy, the harvest is going to commence in a couple, three weeks now after this weather this past week. And I think we've got a big surprise coming. Ben, when are you anticipating to get into the field? And I know you mentioned a little bit about where you expect yields to be, but what are yields generally for your neck of the woods? Well, when you tell your friends, it's always 225, 250 bushel corn. But I have so many neighbors that are so good at hire, you know, hiding their prosperity. I mean, they always get yields 25, 50 bushels better than me, but they drive a pickup with 200,000 miles and live in their in-laws, 125-year-old farmhouse and, you know, send their kids to, you know, community college. Uh, so I'm not as good at hiding prosperity. I go buy new equipment and try and treat my family well and stuff like that. But anyway, so, okay, I'm trying to have a little fun here. Um, poke a little fun against the liars clubs in the area. You know, we're a, we're a 200 to 225 bushel area. I mean, our best soils, you know, guys, uh, farmers routinely get, uh, you know, in the middle 200s if the weather is right. And if it isn't, it still does 200. The lighter soils just take off 30, 40 bushels, you know, 180 to 210. So that's that's our neck of the woods. Nobody here, you'd get laughed out of wherever the farmers congregate, the seed shed, the co-op, whatever, if you didn't have 60 bushel soybeans around here. I mean, that's just, you don't even talk about that. 54 bushels would be a crop failure, you know. So I think right now that huge rustling sound you hear in the background is the sound of seed companies canceling their ad space to put up uh, test plot results in in the printed media right now. I think everybody's going to be scared to put anything out. And, you know, the thing about this is the one spot that had uh, a little that freak shower and uh, hung on and, and was on good soils, so they're going to, you know, print publicize the heck out of that. But I think I think we're looking at five eighths of a crop in our area this year. Hmm. What you said, you don't think that they're going to want to put print materials or, you know, put their name out there. Why do you think that's going to be? 
uh, because their egos won't allow that. You know, it's kind of like the bear in the woods story. You know, uh, you and I, uh, I stop and put on my tennis shoes and I don't have to be, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you, Delaney, not yeah. to be at the bear's breakfast. You know, I mean, this is a great year. You should make production system decisions. You should, uh, you should, uh, you know, you know, redefine your production system off the stress that you got this year and recalibrate how you do things. But, uh, you know, big numbers are what everybody wants to show. Everybody wants to say, uh, see, you know, that we, we provided you seed that provided 250 bushel corn. And to that, I, I will sympathize a little bit with the, the plant genetics trade. You know, I do 99 things to get a good crop. One, one of them is pick a seed variety or seed brand. I mean, it starts with sizing residue in the fall, soil testing, proper tillage, staying off, not harvesting when it's, we would compact our soils, uh, coming up with a fertility plan over the winter, getting that fertility applied, spoon fed to the crop at the right time, using the right herbicide, uh, having the right planter for it, using the right insect control, and the list go, you know, tiling our fields, uh, having the right pH, blah, blah, blah. But when you go to harvest, the landlord hops up in the cab, sees a big number on the yield monitor and says, wow, that's really great. What variety of seed was that? You know, and it's like, well, what about the other 98 things I did to get a good crop? You know, um, not you, but every other journalist, the, I lose it the minute they go, well, today's perfect. Today's modern genetics don't need perfect weather to have a good crop. It's like, oh my gosh, did you not, not notice the other 98 things farmers do to get good crops? Right. Really? Really? Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think this year is going to show just, you know, for those farmers that didn't focus on all 99 things, which there's so much to manage, you know, it's hard to do that. I think this year is going to be a testament to that. But Ben, as a side note, if we were out running a bear, I think I would win. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. It wouldn't be for lack of effort on my part, but <laughs> you could trip me and then, and then I would be the bear's breakfast, but yeah. But, uh, certainly appreciate your insight, having a little fun with us today and just being open and transparent in this time when I think you're right. Folks like to put on a different face, maybe sometimes on Twitter than what's reality for them. So I appreciate you're always being honest and transparent about that. Well, I hope I'm entertaining as well. I mean, I do like to make people laugh. So, awesome. I mean, why not get your information from a source that makes you giggle? That's true. I like it. I like it. Well, Ben, for those of our listeners who don't follow along with you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? How can they find you? Oh, it's at Ben Rinchi. Uh, simple as that. So perfect. And that's R I E N S C E. That's correct. I before E accept in other people's names. <laughs> perfect. Well, Ben, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and insight. You're welcome. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientactsolutions.com slash farmsmart.
Well, it's good to get some local perspective. Don't forget, listeners, subscribe to the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. We'll be back again next week, Delaney, hopefully having a good Market Monday conversation followed by some Farm Progress show interviews. So it should be a good week to tune back in to us. Absolutely, Tanner. But in the meantime, uh, we hope everybody has a good weekend, a cool weekend. And what do you say? We let the people go. Let's let them go.